It's the Hoffman Show, hour number two on the Team 980. Never read the comments coming up at 5.30. Dave Johnson on the Wizards here on a Wizards game day on your home for Wizards basketball at 6.15. But right now, 5 o'clock means it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Our guest today is a pleasure uh, to welcome him back to the show. We had him on this summer. He's our go-to guy when anything Bay Area touches the DMV. It is Bonte Hill from 95.7 The Game out in San Fran. Bonte, what's up, man? Welcome back to the show. What's up, Craig? Long time no talk, man. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Doing as best as we can here, just in the midst of a coaching and GM search instead of, you know, what you guys get to do, which is talk about playoff football, which is... Which is nice, um, but we got there's so many barrier ties all of a sudden as the commanders are looking at Adam Peters and the guy doing the looking is Bob Myers, uh, which is certainly unexpected. Let's start off with Peters uh, real quick. Like when when did he first get on your radar? Because John Lynch is obviously the head guy out there. Kyle Shanahan's probably the most important person in the organization. But the more I learn about Adam Peters, it seems like he's pretty high on that list. Yeah, we, he got on our radar basically before the 2019 season, because we're trying to figure out what does John Lynch do? Is he just the face of the franchise? Is he the guy who goes to the podium? Is he the guy that goes out and scout, looks at players? Now, he does do all that, but Adam Peters is tied at the hip. Adam Peters does all the dirty work, and it's a reason why the Niners have keep giving them titles, right? You know, he was a scouter. You know, you're the GM now. You know, we're going to give you a better title. We're going to give you a race because they do not want him to leave the building. He is that important. You think about some of the draft picks and all the draft picks here. You know, Ray Carthons with the Tennessee Titans. He gets some credit there. But a lot of people think Adam Peters is the secret sauce to everything that's happened with San Francisco. So uh, he's been high up on their list. Uh, they, he's been interviewed for jobs, it seems like, the last three to four years. And, you know, it's just – I think a lot of Niner fans, a lot of people around here think that it's just a matter of time before Adam Peters gets a job that he wants. And look, I think he wanted the San Francisco job. There was rumors about John Lynch going into television or back into television. Last season, was it last season, Craig, or the year before it, he jumped on my show and he said, he told us how Amazon basically came to his house. It was like, look, we watch you. We watch you. And they offered him a boatload of money. But the job wasn't finished in San Francisco in terms of winning the Super Bowl. He's upside in the extension, which obviously blocks out of Peters from being a head honcho. He's one of the draft board, doing all the scouting and orchestrating all the scouting. So he's a guy that the Niners love. He's a guy that the media loves. Um, he's a guy who's considered, like, you know, you look think about some of the articles that have been published ever since Adam, Adam Peters was on the commander's list. And there's articles saying the Niners can't afford to lose Adam Peters. That's how important he is. So if he does become the GM or president of football operations with the Washington Commanders, I think he got a good one. Now I told you that about Jordan Poole, and that hasn't really worked out. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna come back to to your Jordan Poole statement. I feel like we need to revisit that. You sold us a lemon on that one, but we'll we'll circle back to Jordan Poole by the end of this, Bonte. Don't you don't you think I've I forgotten that? But, uh, but, Hey, no, I know you haven't forgotten that. I'm sure everybody <laughs> in the DMV hasn't forgotten him. <laughs> when he came to Chase Center back on September 22nd, I said, boy, that's not the same guy I recognize. But anyway, Adam Peters is he is a good guy. Now, obviously, it's going to go by who he hires as coach, who they draft as players, who your quarterback's going to be, especially in that division where the Eagles and Cowboys sit in. But Adam Peters is a guy that the 49ers have tried to keep in this organization for many, many years, and that says a lot about Adam. Uh 
Yes, for sure. And uh, I want to follow up on the uh, ability for them to keep him out there versus coming here in a second. But Anthony, can you put Bonte on hold real quick and see if his phone uh, is, is I, that's not just in my headphones. Uh, Bonte's phone is clicking real bad on us uh, to make it a little easier for everyone to listen. See if we can get a refresh on that. Again, uh, the, the kind of situation out in San Francisco is that Adam Peters has risen up through the organization, but ultimately he can't be the top guy as long as Lynch is there. And the question I'll ask Bonte in a second when we get him back on the horn here, uh, hopefully with a, a clearer and better connection, uh, is what kind of steps are left for Peters out in San Francisco and has maybe Peters realized that he can't get it any other way. Like he's going to have to leave. That realization happens for a lot of people at a lot of different points in their careers where you just go, if I'm going to do this, I have to go somewhere else. Um, and there was a, like, that's kind of how Eric Bieniemy wound up here. Um, of course, EB took like kind of a lateral move, uh, OC to OC. Obviously, you got to be a play caller here. But for a guy as Bonte is back with us, um, Bonte, my question would be like, can is there room still to promote Peters and keep him in San Francisco? Or do you feel like he's reached the point where he realizes he's going to have to go because he's never going to be able to get out from under John Lynch, even if they, you know, they've promoted Lynch already and they could promote Peters right. as well? Yeah, he's, I mean, unless they give him GM-type money, I think that's the only thing that's going to keep him here at this point. I think he's reached his ceiling in terms of titles because of John Lynch. And you think about some of the players that I was mentioning, some of the players he's credited for, guys like George Kittle. I think he's a pretty good tight end. DJ Jones, who turned out to be a good uh, defensive tackle, now with the Broncos. DJ Reed, a solid DB. Jordan Greenlaw, who's considered one of the nastiest linebackers of all the football. You think about Diamond Lenore, Talanoa Hufanga. Elijah Mitchell, and last but not least, Brock Purdy. Um, Peters gets credited with a lot of those discoveries here, so uh, as well as Brian Greasy when it comes to Brock Purdy. But Peters, as an assistant GM, he can go nowhere else uh, in terms of job status and job title because Lynch is here. So it's about time, and we've been bracing for this out here in the Bay Area of Adam Peters moving on uh, to another organization. Bonte Hill is with us, 95-7 the game out in the Bay Area. He's with us, of course, here on the Hoffman Show, which you can also catch live on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. So uh, we all expected Monday to be a busy day for us here uh, with Ron Rivera was going to get fired. Like, we knew that. And then Bob Myers gets brought on to this search committee, and we're all like, well, that's that's a curveball we didn't expect. What was your uh, reaction when you heard the news? And had you guys heard anything out there? Because I was kind of funny. I was telling uh, Anthony, my producer, earlier. Uh, or actually, no, I was telling uh, our last guest, Michael Phillips, about this. Like, Zach Lowe was on his podcast saying, like, oh, yeah, I heard about this. And it's like, why would I listen to Zach Lowe on an NFL story? Well, because he works with a guy that's now right. advising. Um, but sometimes, you know, because it's it's where he used to work. Had you guys heard any rumblings about this? And, and, and what's your reaction mm -hmm. to Myers? Uh, helping Josh Harris out find the, the new front office executive. No, it was a bombshell for sure. We hadn't heard anything about it. Even Steve Kerr joined our station yesterday, and he says he talks to Bob Myers pretty frequently, and he hadn't mentioned anything to him. So we were kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? Now, we know Bob Myers is going to be with the organization sooner rather than later. I don't see him being a life at ESPN in terms of being the basketball analyst or being on a call for a color analyst during a basketball game, but this was different. This was different. Now, I'm still not exactly sure what he's going to be doing outside of advising. 
Is he going to have a prominent role during the next football season? Is this kind of a one-and-done, hey, help us get ahead, coach. Thank you for your services. But it is interesting to me that I think back at it, he does go to a lot of 49er games, and he does have a great relationship with John Lynch. And, you know, even Farhan Jai, there's rumors that, hey, John Lynch reached out to Bob Byers for this advice, um, especially when it came to, to, to money and contract extensions for other players. Other organizations have reached out to him. He was a former agent, of course, a former agent to a lot of players in this league. So it was definitely a bobshell. Again, I don't know what his role gonna, is going to be after the coaching hire, but it is very intriguing how much how much juice Bob Myers has. And personally, you're not going to find a better guy. Um, yeah, I used to do weeklies with him on my show. He, he's as good as they get uh, in terms of being personable, personable transparent. Uh, Bob Myers is really good. I think, you know, having him on this board, having him – kind of quiz coaches and being alongside Rick Spielman there. It's not a bad thing. And I like that the commanders are doing this. They're doing they're exhausting all options to get this higher right. This starts a new chapter of Washington professional football. So I, I don't think you could go wrong here. But I do I do wonder, Craig, what is his role going to be once you do hire the head coach? Is he still going to be around? Is he going to be in a suite? Is he going to have a role in the organization moving forward? That one is still confusing to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems unclear now at this time. And, you know, Josh Harris basically said, you know, Spielman's here to help hire the the coach of the GM. Myers is going to advise me personally. So it just sounds like, you know, if you call your friends sometimes to get advice, and Bob Myers is a great friend to have, and uh, maybe it's kind of accepted that certain people are allowed to call Bob and get advice. I don't know. I want Bob Myers as a friend uh, to be able to call for advice. Yeah. Everything I've ever heard about the guy is that he's like the best friend you could ever have. Uh, and let me tell you, true story, Craig. I, I was, so I, I double bond radio and, and television, right? I do the Warriors pre and post game. Right. It was during my first year. And I get a random call from, actually, it was during the pandemic. And this was when there was a lot of things going on in the world, you know, uh, pro-lease brutality, and there was a lot of rioting and strike, and all kind of that. It was a mess, right? Bob Myers just called me for a random Saturday 30-minute conversation as a white guy to try to relate to what a black guy goes through. Later on that year, I'm doing television for the first time, and he just randomly calls me for about 45 minutes and says, you know, what's your goal? What's your, what's your goal in the next five years? That's the type of dude this guy, is. this guy is. He knows everything you do. He knows all about your family. He wants to know about your family. He wants to know about your personal life. It's always a personal relationship. That's the type of guy we're talking about. And, oh, by the way, he helped work with straight four championships when he go to state warriors. So uh, he's as good a person as I've ever met in the professional sporting world. No hands down. One of those ones that's a legit human being. And you know what? We miss him with the Warriors. We miss him in this organization. And we miss him in this region, man. Some of us are kind of like, wow, he's going over football. He's going to the commanders. They have on the East Coast team, really? But Bob is as good as they get, Craig. That's a phenomenal story. And that tracks with everything I've ever heard from him, podcast interviews, whatever else, and everything I've ever heard about him. That's awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Bonte Hill with us, 95-7 the game. And and last thing, I hate to, after you share that awesome personal story with us, I hate to bring up the Jordan Poole thing to wrap up here. But but you you were like, man, you guys are getting a great, great player. Like he's gonna rebound. You were so confident. And like I understand why. Like, when you're in this business, there are some times when you get stuff wrong, and it happens. It happens to all of us. But I, I would guess I would say, like, what has not worked here in Washington for Jordan that you thought he would be able to turn around when he left? I just thought, you know, when I watched him December 22nd, and he was trying so hard against the Warriors, he went like 7-21. And I see a player who's slipping 
who's turning the ball over, who doesn't take great shots. I see a player where I'm saying to myself, boy, psychologically, I'm not sure he could get back to where he was at during the championship season because of what transpired last trade he kept. The effect that that has had on his life, I, I underestimated that because, look, man, we could all play back to Kermit Washington plus Rudy Tomjanovich. Rudy Tomjanovich basically was never heard of as a player ever again. But the damage that that punch did to Jordan Poole, I still think it has linger effects. I see the way he plays. Like he, during that championship season, Craig, every 17 points per game during his first postseason. We see a lot of guys when they enter their first postseason, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, whether it's basketball, they, they struggle. You know, lights get brighter. There's a lot more pressure. But he thrived. And for sure, he had his clunkers during that run. But he thrived for the most part. But that punch, when it happened, and I thought, man, maybe it changed the scenery. His whole team, boy, he's going to bounce back in a major way. He's going to be that 20 to 24 point game score that we all thought he could be out here on the West Coast. But he just doesn't look happy. He just doesn't, you know, you see the hair, even just the body language, the haircut. What he, like, he was the king of swag out here. You know what I'm saying? He was, he was playing to the crowd. He was a fan favorite. We were having pool parties. And the fact that I just don't see that. And I just think back to that day. He has never been the same human being. He's a little more guarded. Now, I'm not sure how many interviews he's got out there in D.C., but he just doesn't seem like – and then the player on the court. Oh, my God, the shot selection, the passing, the lack of passing, the, the horrible defense. Oh, man, I, I feel bad for you guys because I did show you guys the limit right now. Now, do I think <laughs> he can turn around at some point? Yes, I do. But, boy, I think we're finding out that – Leading a team and being the face of the franchise, yeah, that might not be it. That might not be it for him. On a championship team, they need to be your third, fourth, or fifth option. But as a number one or a number two, yeah, that's going to be a struggle yeah. for him, especially right now being so young. I mean, it's been it's been horrible to watch. I feel bad for you guys. I'm like cringing every time I watch highlights. And, you know, I have a vested interest because Vlad Wright is a guy who plays junior college basketball out here in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I always watch his games. He, he came through here. He was one of the best Juco players I've ever seen before he went out to Utah. So I, I do have a sickness in watching the games a lot. And, yeah, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all, Craig. Yeah, and I think the thing that, that like, miffs me with Jordan specifically is – like you talked when when you came on at the, the deadline or at the draft, uh, that's when it yeah. was uh, when that trade happened. You were like, "Look, he's kind of misunderstood as a person. Like he cares, he works, and yeah. all summer long, that's all I heard. And I don't doubt it. And and I've heard from like reporters right. that go in the locker room, like he still cares a lot. What I don't get is how that guy with that character watches himself on defense and goes, "Yeah, I'm doing it." It's like there's just yeah. a disconnect of the guy on the court and the guy off the court that needs to be fundamentally yeah. repaired. And like it, it, playing defense, in the NBA is hard as hell. Like these guys are right. so good, right. but like, I yep. just, I watch him like navigate screens and like the stuff that you have to try to do to be even remotely decent at defense in the league. And I just can't imagine being in a film session and being him and watching it and going, I'm doing it guys. I, I it's right yeah. there. It's like, no, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, forget the plus-minus and having the worst plus-minus in the league. I don't know how you can play defense with your hands down, which we saw a lot of last year in the Bay Area. It's like, you got to move your feet, and he does have good feet, yet it looks like his feet on defense is stuck in cement. It's like, dude, where's your lateral movement? You have it. It's in there. And defense at some point is just a pride thing because you're right. Play defense against 
these athletes in the NBA is hard. It's very difficult. They're fast. They're the great. They're possibly the greatest athletes on this on this world on this planet. And it, it is you're not going to stop a lot of guys. These guys get buckets. Can you make it difficult? Can you fight through a screen? Can you be a little more physical? And we started to see that last year. And I just thought maybe I was a loop. Maybe you know you can call me dumb, but I, I just thought maybe a change of scenery after what transpired last year with this organization, with them basically siding with Draymond. You see what's going on with Draymond now. Maybe he will be better, and it hasn't translated. He's like forgot that, hey, there's another end of the floor. You have to go play defense and be on the other side of the floor. So that's been atrocious. I'm sure, and, and, and you're right. Those film sessions must be cringeworthy for not only him, but the rest of the team saying, wait a minute, we traded for him to make him one of the faces of our franchise? Right. And this is what we're getting? And the lack of assist numbers, and it, it's, it's painful to watch. And look, there's a human element to this. I do think, I do think there's going to be, like, I do think there's some psychological damage. Maybe therapy needs to happen. Maybe he needs to talk to somebody. Maybe he's already talking to somebody because whenever right. he goes on the internet to this day, even on our show, Craig, to this day, we're in January of 2024. Everybody still talks about the clutch. It's yeah. not going anywhere. And it certainly ain't leaving the internet. Right. Well, and that's the thing is it's still like that punch, not just for Jordan, but for Draymond, for the Warriors. You know, there's so much fracture within that organization of how everything went down. The fact that they never really found out who leaked it. Like, I follow what's going on out, out there yeah. quite a bit. And I, I know that it's been a, a large looming thing that really just changed what was a happy, joyful 10-year run almost in an instant. Uh, Bonte Hill, uh, 95-7 the game also, uh, as as you heard, uh, pre and post for the Warriors on TV uh, if you're ever watching on League Pass. Bonte, always great to catch up, man. Love when the news crosses in a way that we can do this. Appreciate your time yeah. as always. Likewise, Craig. And by the way, you got some breaking news, man. Yeah, I, I, I see that. Uh, so I'm going to let you go so we can get to that. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> No problem, Craig. Happy New Year to everybody out there in the DMV area. Appreciate you, Bonte. That is Bonte Hill, 95-7 the game. And as Bonte said, there is about as big of breaking news out of college football as you could imagine. We'll tell you what it is and have a quick reaction before never read the comments next. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. And we have... Breaking news. Oh, news is broken. Breaking news. About as big as you can get in college football, Nick Saban, Alabama head coach, seven-time national champion, is retiring. This comes out of basically nowhere, no rumors of it anywhere, although it does make sense. He is a man, uh, I believe, in his early 70s at this point, and he has done everything you could possibly do in college football. Uh, Saban retiring from the University of Alabama after yet another uh, playoff appearance this year. He basically always found a way to get there. Uh, 72 years old is Saban turned 73 in October. Six national titles at Alabama, won another one at LSU. Um, This is obviously... Massive, massive news in terms of any kind of local impact. I do wonder a job like Alabama being open, does that pull any elite coach out of the uh, out of the re- the running for one of the top NFL jobs? Probably not. It's a different different uh, you know gig. You have to spend so much time recruiting. A lot of NFL coaches would 
just prefer to coach. You have to spend a lot of time, but it's on football. Um, your off season's not nearly as demanding as as the recruiting nonsense, especially. Um, I mean, recruiting's always been hard, but in the in NIL, like now, there's just a financial component that's kind of the wild, wild west before any kind of regulation hits. Um, Saban retiring a couple years after Coach K retires. Um, many others, obviously, have, have legendary coaches have stepped down. I think it's kind of uh, ironic that Pete Carroll and Nick Saban wind up wrapping up their careers as coaches, presumably on the same day. Saban retiring. Uh, Carroll basically being told he's not welcome back as the head coach, but he's uh, going to stay on as an advisor for the Seahawks. Of course, Carroll uh, led that USC should have been dynasty, I guess is a good way to put it. In the early 2000s, they lose that game to Vince Young in Texas, um, but one of the the best runs ever over like a five-ish year span for Carroll at USC. He gets out, goes to Seattle, does a phenomenal job. Saban, a guy who I always wondered if he could have done more in the NFL, obviously one of the best football minds around. Things didn't go great in Miami, but also they chose Dante Culpepper over uh, Drew Brees because of medical reasons. What happens if Saban gets Brees? Like, do we know who Sean Payton is today? Probably. Payton was pretty well thought of. Um, but uh, pretty pretty wild, uh, some of the the ways that these guys cross. And, and obviously, uh, Saban retiring possibly in the same year, we'll see in the same week, that Bill Belichick's career could come to an end as well. Two longtime friends, uh, former colleagues, Saban was on Belichick's staff back in Cleveland uh, before the Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. So it was, you know, it's one of the greatest football lives ever. Um, A kid from West Virginia who just kept on cranking out uh, the coaching ranks, coaching career of 50 years and uh, calling it a day, calling it a career today at the age of 73. And I think the thing that um, strikes me about Saban is something that always did strike me about Carroll as well. Like, you know, they're not young men. But when you think of 70-year-olds, you don't think of Nick Saban. You don't think of Pete Carroll. Guys out there literally running around. And uh, my hope is that when I am 70-whatever years old, 73, uh, that I also can run around, that I also can play catch that I am healthy enough to, to do the things that they have done. Uh, so hats off to, to Nick Saban. I would imagine if he wants to go into television, he will have a, a seat on ESPN waiting for him, um, especially as ESPN, I believe, is, is getting the SEC next year, um, this, the SEC on CBS coming to a close. So uh, if he wants a, a chair on college game day, he's going to get one. Uh, if he wants a, a chair if he just wants to sit in his own chair and he just bought some property in Florida, I believe he wants to set up a satellite and a camera at his home in Florida. They will make that work. Um, or he just can be an old rich guy and go out on the lake and, uh, have a good time being, being retired. So congrats to Nick Saban, Saban, uh, the breaking news, retiring from coaching at the age of 73, seven national championships, six at Alabama. Uh, that is the breaking news. News. When we get back here on the Hoffman Show, back to the Commanders and a little segment we like to call Never Read the Comments. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Just after 5.30 on a pretty monumental day in terms of the uh, history of football coaching. Pete Carroll 
uh, speaking just a few moments ago, basically saying he would have loved to continue as Seahawks head coach, but uh, ultimately the organization was like, we're going to make you an advisor now. So we'll see what's next for Pete Carroll. And if you just missed the breaking news, Nick Saban retiring at the University of Alabama. Anthony, good luck to the next guy there. You always want to be the guy that follows the guy. Yeah, but it's all yeah, I don't it's, But at the same time pressure. At the same time, like you want to be the guy that follows the guy, but I want to be the guy who in, inherits Nick Saban's recruits. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess that could be a good jump start to your career. In a yeah, I wonder like But people might, you know, if I'm Bill if you're Bill O'Brien, do you go back to college? To Bama? Yeah. I think he's probably definitely going to be a uh, a leading candidate there. Or like if you're James Franklin at Penn State and you're kind of stuck being Penn State, you win 10 games every year, you have no shot against Ohio State and Michigan. You just can't cross that threshold. But if you were at Bama, you go from being at a four-star to a five-star, if you will. Right? If you, you, play, you play FIFA or FC, whatever they call it now, and they have the, like the every club is ranked. Mm-hmm. They used to do this on the college football game too. Like prestige wise, and like Chelsea and Arsenal and Bayern Munich are like five star clubs. Like Penn State's probably like a four and a half. I mean, historically it's five, but the problem is the guy that got it to be five turned out to be a terrible person. Uh, and, and and Joe Paterno, um, or at least someone who allowed terrible people to do awful things. So the needless to say, the, the luster's off in Happy Valley yeah. um, compared to Alabama. Um, which is like the five star of five stars. Ohio State, Michigan, like that might be it. USC historically, but like even they have fallen off and they haven't done anything significant in 20 years. So, point is, um, if you're like stuck at Penn State and Alabama's like, we'll pay you to get out of that contract, would you go? I think Jane Franklin is going to be too loyal to Penn State. I don't think he leaves. I also don't think Penn State's going to win him out of the contract. Now, but, a Dabo? Dabo to Alabama is interesting. I think Dabo could be interesting. Clemson's, Clemson's kind of falling apart. Yeah, I think, I uh, think Dabo. Dabo is from Alabama. That's an interesting one. And I don't know. I mean, we don't know if Ryan Day necessarily stays at Ohio State just because of you know his track record against Michigan the last three years. So Yeah. Uh, but then I mean, again, you know. Harbaugh's about to leave, so. What if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? So, going to be a fun coaching ca- – you thought the NFL coaching carousel yeah. is fun. <laughs> Wait till you see what happens and the, the trickle-down effect in college football. And there's probably a bunch of names we're not even thinking of. No, you're hot up-and-comers. Uh, you know, you're Dan Lanning's at Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Uh, with all of that said, it's just after 5.30 on a Wednesday. So, it's time to do the thing they told us not to do. We tried to warn them. They didn't listen. Every week, the Hoffman Show goes into the belly of the beast. We read those comments, baby. Never read the comments. All right, we do this weekly here on the radio, live in full effect. We dive into the comments section at Craig Hoffman at the Team 980. Comments on our on-demand clips of the Hoffman Show and the Take Command podcast. And the coaching carousel is turning in the NFL, and opinions are wide and varied. Uh, this is We're going to start with an amuse-bouche of comments. Anthony, do you know what an amuse-bouche is? 
Uh, based off the context, maybe uh, just a plethora, several, you know. No, not not quite. An uh, amuse bouche. Uh, I'm trying to remember the direct uh, translation, but it's basically like a. Uh, it wakes up your palate. Okay. So they give you like that little piece of fruit or whatever at the start of a meal, like a yeah. fancy one, mm-hmm. to be like, "Hey, wake up! You're about to get some flavor." So uh, an amuse bouche uh, pairing of comments. At Caleb Cars says. The fact that we aren't screaming for Vrabel raises red flags. Locked on law. This, these comments were literally back to back as I scrolled through uh, the comments on my YouTube studio. Uh, the fact that we're not, we aren't screaming for Vrabel raises red flags. Locked on law. Can Mike Vrabel coach up the next draft pick into a franchise quarterback? No. Let's move on. Back to back, Anthony. How come we're not getting Vrabel? Please. Let's not be serious. We're not getting Vrabel. I think and they were listening to Linnell yesterday then. Uh, one of them was on Linnell. One of them was on a, our, our chat with Lindsey Zarniak. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it just shows. Like, different people value different things. And it's going to be pretty fascinating. Like, I know what I value, but that might be different than what Josh Harris values. And, by the way, what Josh Harris values might be a little bit different than Mitchell Rails, a little bit different than David Blitzer, a little bit different than Magic Johnson, uh, Rick Spielman, and... Bob Myers, which is the committee. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see, like, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things everyone agrees upon? Do those things rise to the top? And then what things does Harris care about as the lead decision maker that other people are certainly going to have voices on in the room, but uh, might ultimately get overrode by other factors? So just this is why you put together a committee, because different people care about different things. It, and then you come together and you make the best decision as a group, understanding a common goal. That's how committees should work. Uh, when they work well, they get awesome results. When they don't work well, people yell at each other and then they bitch about it to newspaper writers afterwards. Uh, continuing on, uh, more specifically into some of the comments, uh, we talked about one word to describe the Ron Rivera era and I thought this was a great answer from our guy, Blaine, who's always listening to the show on YouTube at the Team 980. Blaine says, kaleidoscope is the one word. A series of fractured patterns. Looks pretty for a second, but it's just not repeatable. And I think that is a fair characteristic of the Ron Rivera era. Like, there were times where we got really psyched about certain things. Um... Eric Bieniemy certainly is probably the the shiniest uh, image that we saw. It's like, oh, this guy's gonna be great. Early returns on Sam Howell were fantastic. You know, the the defense would go on these stretches where they'd give up no points and they just crush people. And you'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. Some of the four game winning streaks, Taylor Heineke's excitement. Like, there's all these little fractured pieces of of brilliance. But that's because it's the NFL. These are the best players on the planet, and eventually stuff goes right. Uh, even for the not best of the best. And unfortunately, they had a lot of not best of the best. And uh, as has been chronicled multiple places, most prominently in Ben Standing's story in The Athletic, there was never a cohesive vision. It was a constant chasing of headlines and of narrative as opposed to a constant relentless chase of a singular long-term plan. Uh, Mary Bowles, 6908, commented, on one of our videos at Craig Hoffman said, I don't get how everyone says Ron was a good guy. Yes, he went through a lot, but does anyone remember Ron throwing certain people under the bus to the media? He lied to draft picks like Branch, talking about Brian Branch from Detroit, who said in an interview that 
Washington had promised him that uh, if he was there, they would take him. They obviously did not. Uh, or he was bringing players back, uh, and then they learned he lied to them. Uh, there's questionable things he did that don't make him look favorable, just like telling media about players coming to him about Biennemi being too hard. Ron didn't need to throw him under the bus to the media. No need to say any of that. Tell me all this isn't changing culture or being a good guy. This is tough, but I will say I do think some of the Ron stuff is good guy stuff is a little overrated. Um, in terms of how it gets framed within the context of the job. What I will tell you is the more people have interactions with Ron Rivera, the more they like him. The farther away they are, the more I think you have opinions like this. And frankly, I'm someone who did not get to talk to Ron very often. So I count myself in the removed observing actions, not getting to personally experience the man category. But I do know he genuinely cared about people. Um, the story that Tress Way told the other day was great. I mean, Lindsay uh, Zarniak in the video that this comment was on talked about some of her personal interactions and told a story about how she had the game for Fox for the Carolina Panthers the week after he had gotten fired in Carolina and the players were pretty distraught. Like, players really liked him. But there's a lot of coaches that players like that aren't good at the job. And I do think a lot of the points brought up here are valid. I think a lot of the stresses and pressures of the job Ron Rivera did not handle well, especially when they mixed with the need as part of the job to publicly comment. I do not think he did a good job of being consistent with who he was uh, and, and maybe what he thought, or maybe this is part of, uh, this is a flawed part of him um, that, that he did throw people under the bus. There was favoritism. There was nepotism. There was a lot of things of chasing the narratives as opposed to having a, kind of a core values that drove you and, and a and a plan that I think turned out to treating people poorly at times. And I think all of that is a part of his legacy. But at the end of the day, the thing that I do think is true is when he did stuff that I would categorize as not great, Bob. Um, it was kind of politics stuff, uh, the pressures of the job, or sometimes covering for someone else. I don't think it happened out of malice. But with that said, intention isn't everything. Impact is more important. And the impact he occasionally had on people wasn't good. Not that any of us are perfect, but I do think that if we just say like, oh, Ron's a great guy because he didn't do X, Y, and Z that a lot of other football coaches do and whatever, and the players liked him, that is probably overly whitewashing uh, his four years here and, and kind of the way he acted during them. I think another point that's important off of that is something that John Allen said on the junkies the other day. He talked about the culture and he's like, there's kind of two different cultures and people get them twisted. There's the in the building culture and in the locker room culture. And I think the in the building, we talk about changing the culture. Um, I think that Ron was great in the building. Like, everyone around the building respected him. He was really kind and, you know, never talked down to people. Like, people felt like they were a part of the organization. You, you see some of the staffers, like team photographers, et cetera, you know, posting up uh, the farewell message from Ron or about Ron on their own personal Instagrams or Twitter accounts or whatever. Like, that tells me something. Nobody was doing that when Jay Gruden was here. But, but, Allen did say that, like, for instance, when Jay was here, the 
atmosphere and the culture within the locker room itself was great. And that seemed to fall off under Rivera. Some of the favoritism, some of the lack of holding certain people up to the standard, some of the stuff that was allowed to slide because Ron was a little bit too nice if you want to be benevolent about it or just wasn't up to the task of disciplining people uh, and creating a, a culture of accountability that he claims to be and that a lot of people, I think, put on him. He just wasn't up to it. And that had an effect in the locker room that was hugely negative that when you look at you know how certain players were treated or how every player was treated during the Gruden era, there were times Jay did stuff that Jay didn't really want to do because it didn't help. Like It, it made his job harder as the X's and O's guy, but he knew he had to do it. And there was also an empowerment of the players to do stuff. I think here, Ron took on like that role, and I think it undercut some of the leadership of players at times. Um, and I don't know. I just think in general, the, the the player leadership thing was complicated, as illustrated by the Charles Leno and, and Logan Thomas comments, as Jahan's comments, Allen's comments. Not very cohesive. Not great uh, in terms of the culture in the locker room. Uh, while Ron was here, certainly at the end. But also, that's that's losing for you. Nobody's on the same page. Shannon Wilson, 62-16, says, if he was a great coach and players were distraught when he left Carolina, why was he able to get the most out of the players in Washington? Me personally, I'm thinking logically, if I have an admiration for someone, that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that person succeeds or do everything and anything that I can to help them get through whatever it is they're trying to succeed in. Quarterback can't be the only reason because the rest of the team didn't do well either. Defense, special teams, none of the other phases were great. Even the draft picks that he made haven't panned out other than Brian Robinson. No other player has done well that he was involved with personally selecting at any draft. That's an overstatement. There's a guy named Sam Cosby. He's quickly turning into one of the best guards in football. That's sweet. Um, Cam Curl, fine. Like We don't need to parse out. Everyone knows the players that have been at least okay but he selected zero pro bowlers, and that is atrocious in four years. I, and I think a couple of things. One, it's all the stuff I just said about him not being up for the job and, like, the technical acumen to do it wasn't there. And I think that is fed by the fact that he bit off way more than he could chew. If Ron Rivera was just a football coach, then maybe it works out. Maybe. I don't think so because I don't think he's that great of a football coach. But... It would certainly go better than it did here. He tried to do that, the personnel stuff, and kind of be a team spokesman during an extremely turbulent time. Not a formula for success. Ultimately, that's the biggest reason, is he was trying to do everything. I mean, you try to do everything, and you're not very good at delegating, uh, and you don't have a strategic vision that everybody understands, because he didn't have one at all then you're going to fail. And that's what he did. Uh, as for what is next, some comments that I think were interesting. Uh, Justin Evans, 182, says, uh, Craig, I definitely couldn't agree with you more on your toughness point. Win, lose, or draw, I want us to suck to play against. The mindset is almost guaranteed to win at least two or three games, in my opinion. Uh, Justin, as you were agreeing with me, in mine too. Um, I think when you talk about toughness, it was funny. There was another comment, Anthony, that I like. I genuinely laughed out loud at. Um, someone was like, Shanahan and McVay are tough. Vrabel's, like, I don't think Vrabel wins games because he can beat up other coaches. And I was like, not physically tough. <laughs> By the way, 
the correct answer for which NFL coach would win like a Royal Rumble is Mike Vrabel, correct? Like without question. Uh, if there was just a fight of all thirty-two, yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess you'd have a you'd have a, a death showdown in the final, Vrabel and Dan Campbell. Ooh, I forgot all about Dan. I think D'Amico, you know, he's young, he's a little small, but I think he could be a little feisty. D'Amico would be exceptional. Yeah, he's but, strong, he's tough, yeah, he's Dan young. Dan Campbell, Vrabel, yeah. But like Vrabel, Vrabel's a little psycho. And Dan Campbell's a lot psycho. Yeah, and, he's in and, fighting trim. Like, yeah, that dude That dude drinks like a 1,000 milligrams of caffeine a day. He's That's not insane. well. Yeah. D'Amico's too sane. Yeah. Now, he did play linebacker in the NFL. Maybe he's got like a... Uh, maybe he can still snap and get into that mode. Uh-huh. But... Like, McVeigh would be a pain in the butt because he's scrappy and he's just full of energy. But, like, eventually Dan Campbell would be like, Hey! Boom! Out of the ring. Yeah. I think uh, Mike McDaniels would somehow, like, hack some systems and, you know, <laughs> have some, like, pranks, you know, in the ring. I'm, I'm just saying, you know. He would have something up his sleeve. Yeah. I'm on to him. I, I think you're not definitively not wrong. <laughs> Belichick would just, like, walk in and walk out and be like, I'm done. I know what's yeah. up here. We're, we're good. Sala, low-key, watch out for him. Ooh. Yeah. But I think, I think Dan Campbell and Mike Vrabel. Yeah. The point is... Toughness does not come from one coach's ability to beat up the other coach. It's how you practice. It's it's the standard you hold people to. There is a toughness that is, like, toughness is not machismo. Machismo is fake. Bravado is fake. Toughness is real. Toughness is doing the hard thing. Toughness is not, like, I don't know. This is a weird analogy. Um, I'm just going to say it, but, like, Toughness is going to therapy, not soaking it all in internally and just letting your your emotions destroy you. That's weak. Toughness is going to therapy or seeking help. Like, understanding your place in the world and, like, doing the work. That's tough. And that kind of thing works in the NFL because you create buy-in. And so, like, doing the work of the interpersonal relationships, doing the work of the schematics and the late nights and uh under like but also having the the guts to tell your coaches to go home because they're worn out and they're not actually doing a good job because they're so burnt out like there is this fine line that you're willing to make hard decisions that relates to toughness and then there's a standard that you hold people to that you will not let them slip you will not do the thing this is the this is i guess what i'm trying to say Toughness is not taking the path of least resistance just because it's the easy thing to do. Toughness is willing to fight through some awkward situations, tough conversations, whatever, because it's ultimately the right thing to do. And that, from a coaching standpoint, translates extremely well. I think Vrabel is great with that, but a guy like Shanahan, a guy like McVay, O'Connell, D'Amico, like all, Pete Carroll, all these guys have it. Um, in a way that really matters, and it's why they've all won games. Uh, last but not least, uh, Anthony, this was this was a funny. All right, there are two. Actually, let's go two funny ones to, to end it here. Uh, the first one was on one of our Sam Howell videos, uh, and DMV underscore artist says uh, to say Sam Howell looked as though he could be the Commanders' future quarterback after watching the first half of the season isn't a hot take because uh, some people were trying to kill me in the comments for saying that. 
Uh, he was playing better than most first-year starting quarterbacks. However, he unraveled within the last six weeks. You get new information, you change your opinion. If I tell you I'm going to get Bob to give me a ride home, then I see Bob's drunk, so I decide to take an Uber home. It doesn't mean I lied to you. It means I changed my way of thinking after seeing new information. That is... That goes in the top t- top five, I guess, so far of 2024. That That's... That's the oh, best comment of 2024. Easily best comment of 2024. Maybe one of the best ones we've ever had. Yeah, that's this one, funny. This one's just funny. Uh, Buddy Barlow, 9604, says, I like Craig, and I watch a lot of Craig, but sometimes I really do think you love to hear yourself talk. And, <laughs> Buddy, let me tell you something. I host a solo radio show for three hours a day, five days a week. There ain't no, no other option. This time doesn't fill itself. Do Could I sit here and hit funny buttons all day? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> I mean, sure. That killed about eight seconds. <laughs> it ain't for the love of my own voice. It's because they pay me to do it. But thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We're doing what we can over here. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well. On the free Odyssey app, and every single Wednesday at 5:30, we hit never read the comments. Tons of breaking news today: college football coaching news, NFL coaching news. We'll get you all caught up on all of it next on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live on the free Odyssey app, and of course, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980.